You're listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast with Andrew Schumacher. Beginning of Wisdom seeks to engage in theology and apologetics in the sight of God. You can learn more at beginningwisdom.org. Welcome to the Beginning of Wisdom Live. I'm Andrew Schumacher. Good to be here tonight uh, with any of you who might have been able to tear yourself away from the presidential debate. I didn't, well, you know, I just do this every Tuesday night (laughs) if I can, even if there's a presidential debate, Um, unless I can't, which next week I believe I can't because... I will be um, in the midst of a debate myself uh, with Jackson Washburn, a Mormon apologist, talking about the the Book of Mormon. Is the Book of Mormon scripture? Uh, You want to check that out on the Gospel Truth YouTube channel, Marlon Wilson over there. Um, It's going to be awesome. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing you there. So there will be no show next week at this time because of that debate. Um, but tonight, I would like to talk to you guys about something um, that, honestly, I've been, this just kind of been sitting on the back burner for a little while. Uh, you guys may remember a few months ago, I did a series responding to Justin Best of Christian Truthers on the question of whether Paul is a false, false apostle. Went through pretty much all of his arguments in that series and showed that they really, none of them really held up. Um, But in the midst of that, uh, what you may not know is a lot of different um, Hebrew roots and Torah observant folks uh, also got involved and talked about, you know, that they pretty much that they affirmed Paul um, and why he, you know, why Justin was wrong. And um, one of those, which, uh, you know, never mentions Justin by name, but that's kind of the way they, they do things, um, was Philia Ministries, James uh, Donano over there. And he did a video about Paul, but he didn't, like, mention Justin or anything like that. He just kind of said, oh, there's some people rejecting Paul, so I'm going to talk about Paul. And so I've had it kind of been doing other things, but I did want to talk about that really for two reasons. And, and it doesn't have much to do with Paul. Uh, when I saw the video, I, I realized this was a really good opportunity to, to kind of do two things. Number one, it's a great opportunity to just go over some, some clear logical fallacies and, and bad exegesis, uh, that comes out of this, uh, movement because he gives us, he, he sort of rapid fire, gives us a whole bunch of examples uh, in the video. But also, secondly, um, to talk about something that is also very prevalent in the Torah movement, and that is uh, just how they talk about Paul and Jesus and um, sort of what your options are. You know, people saying that Paul and Jesus contradicted each other. And there's actually, um, 
a really interesting thing going on there where he presents sort of this trichotomy, this, these three options. Uh, but really there's a fourth one that he's ignoring. Um, but anyway, I want to jump right into it. There's a lot to go through today. So let's go ahead and do that. Uh, so starting with his video here, I'll go ahead and bring that up and get, uh, there we go. And we'll get that started and listen to what he has to say to get, get started here. Well, those that believe or think that Paul is teaching against the Torah, God's laws, God's commandments, and they realize throughout the Bible that God expects obedience to his commandments and his commandments are good. So they're thinking, okay, if it's true, if Paul is teaching against obedience to God's law through faith in Jesus, then he must have been a false teacher. That's why so many Jews look at Paul as He's the one that's against the law. He's the one that started Christianity. Jewish folks that actually take the time to examine Yeshua through the Gospels, they discover that he was a law-abiding, Torah-observant Jew. So here's a real common one uh, to get us started. So Paul was a Torah-observant Jew, and they will uh, also um, talk about, you know, look at all the times where people, you know, met on the Sabbath or things happened on the Sabbath in the book of Acts and, and, and things like that. And what this is, the, the fallacy we're looking at here is, is the fallacy of the red herring. The red herring is when you throw irrelevant, um, data into an argument or into a debate to distract from the real question. The real question is not whether in you know, that very first generation that knew and walked with Jesus, whether Jewish people continued to do Jewish things or not. Um, that's not the question. And, and whether they did or they didn't doesn't answer the question. The real question is, did the work of Christ bring about any changes to how Christians are, are to relate to the law? And, uh, that's that's the real question, and and if so, what what do those look like? And the New Testament is replete with examples of what that looks like. But um, this kind of argument, oh well, you know, Paul was a Torah observant Jew, therefore, um, you know that, you know, score a point for our team. No, it that's an irrelevant point. It whether he did or didn't. And, and again, if you if you read it, he does the things, but does he teach everyone you must do? all of these ceremonial things in the law and all that. Does he, does he tell them you must do this? You must do this. You must do this. No, he, but he is specific with a lot of commandments, you know, about, you know, about, uh, lust and about, you know, other things. So he doesn't, so there are commands that Paul is very much concerned with specifically, but just never gets around to being very specific about things like the Sabbath and dietary laws and things like that, where he says, you must do this. Um, it just doesn't happen. So first one, fallacy, red herring. All right, let's go to this next section here. Second, Peter warned us about it. But actually, let's read the text. And regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just All right, I'm going to just stop in there because you've heard this before. Um, and, and I'll leave it up here so we can see it. But, 
you know, he talks about some things in Paul's letters are hard to understand, things the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of the scriptures. Um, so here, this is a great text to show that Paul or that Peter did believe that Paul wrote scripture. So he was definitely a true apostle. But here we have um, the fallacy here is switching the referent. So Peter is not saying that the way people misunderstand Paul is by saying that he teaches against the law. James is inserting this into what is meant by understanding. It says they misunderstand Paul and it says that these men twist Paul and misunderstand Paul. All, all very true. But it doesn't say the way that they do it is by saying that Paul, you know, taught that things, you know, that the law and, and our, our relationship to the law has changed or, or taught ways that that was the case. We're going to get into that in a little more detail. And I don't have time in this video, but there, there will, I do plan on doing one at some point, really just on this question, you know, are we misunderstanding Paul? What does Peter mean by misunderstanding Paul? Does scripture talk about it? I think it does. We will kind of touch on it a little bit in this video. So, um, but, but down the road, we'll, we'll definitely get into it uh, even more. All right. So the next one I want to bring us to is uh, a little bit further into the video here. All right. And literally, this means lawless ones. Lawless. What law? The law of God. So those who are not for or against obedience to the law of God would be lawless ones. So this is really weird. I highlighted this one just because I've never heard anyone say lawless means not for or against the law. And and truly, later in the video, James says, you know, lawless means against and disobeying the law. I mean, that's pretty much what it what it means, disobeying God and, and his law. But uh, but his uh, yeah, it, it's this is a, a weird one, but um, I'm going to jump ahead here to the next thing. I just wanted to highlight that one real briefly because I just thought that was odd. All right. So here is a great example. This next one is uh, I'll just let him him kind of introduce the text. We're going to be talking about Acts 21, but listen to what he says about it. Um, let's see. Yeah. The, I can't remember if this quote or this uh, clip is going to be after he's read the text or not, but I'll know once we listen to it. So let's go ahead and do that. Scriptures, how Paul's words, his letters, his teachings were misunderstood. Of course, we could go to Acts 21 and see this pretty clearly. So let's take a look. All right. So he didn't read it yet. So here he's about to. I'm just going to go ahead and bring it up and we will read it together. Um, so Acts 21, uh, we'll start in verse 19 here because that is good for the context. So Acts 21, 19 says, And after greeting them, he began to relate one after another the things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard this, they began to glorify God. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many ten thousands 
there are among the Jews who have believed, and they are all zealous adherents of the law. And they have been informed about you that you are teaching all the Jews who are coming to the Gentiles the abandonment of Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or to live according to the, our customs. What is what then is to be done? Doubtless they will all hear that you have come. Therefore do this that we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow upon themselves. Take these men and purify yourself among them and pay their expenses so that they can shave their heads and everyone will know that the things which they have been informed about you are nothing. But you yourself also agree, agree with observing the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believed... We have written a letter after, after deciding they should avoid food sacrifice to idols and blood and what has been strangled in sexual immorality. And then Paul took along the men on the next day, and after he had purified himself together with them, he entered into the temple courts, announcing the completion of the days of purification until the time the offering would be presented on behalf of each one of them. So a little bit longer text. Um... But I want to also read a couple more verses here. Then that's pretty much what he read in the video. But then uh, the next few verses, just to get some more context. Uh, in verse 27, it says, But when the seven days were about to be completed, the Jews from Asia who had seen him in the temple court stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, shouting, Israelite men, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Further, and furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. So notice what Paul is accused of, specifically what um, Paul is being accused of. He's being accused of teaching the abandonment of Jesus or teach or Moses rather teaching people. You should abandon Moses, don't circumcise and don't live according to Jewish customs. And, and in, in the last section, you know, Moses teaching against the law and the people in this place. Now, Paul actually went and, and did, the, did the sacrifice, did all that stuff um, to show that, no, he's not teaching against. He's not teaching not to do these things. Um, but, you know, what I want to point out here is something that James says about this. So... Uh, he goes on after after this for a few minutes talking about Acts 15, which is outside the scope of this video, and I've done a lot on that, um, which I've never heard anyone try to challenge, but, you know, that's what it is. <laughs> All right, so this is what he comes back to say about uh, Acts 21. And remember what we saw, teaching them not to circumcise, teaching them to abandon Moses, teaching them not to live according to Jewish customs. Here's what James says they said. To Acts 21, what did these Jewish believers perceive that this council's decision was saying? That now Jews don't have to obey the law of God. And so the elders... So did you catch the difference? We read the text. The text says Paul taught... You know, Paul is being accused of teaching people not to obey. And James is saying that Paul is being accused of teaching people they don't have to obey. And these are not the same thing. 
because, and we'll get into it, um, the next little section here, uh, we'll, we'll let him say this first and then, and then we'll, we'll see what, what we're talking about. There is a big difference here. And, uh, it's, it's something that, that is totally overlooked by, by a lot of folks. Suggest to Paul, listen, take this vow. And most scholars believe it was a Nazarite vow, which is in the law of Moses in God's law. Take this vow to prove to them that they have misunderstood you and that you yourself walk in conformity to the Torah. And Paul agrees. So here we see, and the Bible is amazing, a tangible example of how Paul, and really it wasn't just Paul, it was just the whole Jerusalem Council's decision, how they were misunderstood, how Paul was misunderstood, that he was teaching through Christ, now we no longer have to keep God's law. All right. So notice the the shift, the shift from what the text says to what James says the text says. So the fallacy here, this isn't really a logical fallacy. It's just a fallacy of bad exegesis. It's 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 reading the words and then changing those words when you go to interpret the text. The text never says Paul is being accused of saying that you're no longer have to obey. Paul is being accused of teaching people not to do things. And notice that when James says to Paul, we want to do this to show people what? That everyone has to walk in accordance with the law? No, that you do walk in accordance with the law, with observing the law. So, yes, you do it, but but it doesn't say we need to show them that you are teaching you have to do it. Um, and these are two different things. So the, the thing is there, there's categories that are being, are being mixed up here when it comes to any action or behavior, there's really three categories that anything you do can fall into. It can be morally obligatory, morally neutral, or morally prohibited. In other words, you have to do it. You have to not do it, or you can do it or not do it. It's, it's morally neutral. Um, the, with these certain ceremonial aspects of the law, it has, it's, it's not the teaching of Paul. And it's, and this is where I do believe that the misunderstanding comes in. Paul is not teaching that it's now morally prohibited, but he is teaching that these things are now morally neutral. And so there's no problem with him going and offering the sacrifice and, and doing what he does there because it's not morally prohibited. And he's showing that that misunderstanding is false, that, that it's false that he's teaching people not to uh, observe the law. It's, it's become something different. So, um, so this, it's, it's consistent in the passage, and James and other, other Hebrew roots folks consistently miss misunderstand that text they they don't they, ne- they don't stick to what it actually says um so that's just kind of is what it is all right so um i had some other stuff but i'm going to jump down to the next clip so let's go to chapter or sorry uh just a little further in here all right next part freedom in Christ. 
And I'm going to argue this is the same misunderstanding that we saw in Acts 21. We see in a lot of the church, and this is what causes people to say, all right, well, if this is what Paul taught, then he must be a false apostle. And the conclusion that people come to that the law has been abrogated through faith in Jesus. All right. So he's talking about, you know, if, if Paul teaches, you know, this, this change, then, you know, he, he's, uh, he, he's false. Um, what he's talking about there and, and what I, what I had skipped talking about. Uh, so I'm going to go back and talk about it is Romans, uh, Romans chapter 14, um, where it talks about, uh, the, the food sacrificed and, and days they met and things like that. Um, the, the things, you know, let's see. All right. So let's, let's go ahead and read a, a quick section here. So Romans 14, uh, let's back up here to verse five it says one person prefers one day over another day and another person regards every day alike. Everyone must be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who's intent on the day is intent on it for the Lord. And the one who eats, eats for the Lord because he is thankful to God. And the one who does not eat, does not eat for the Lord. And he is thankful to God for none of us lives for himself and none dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Um, then a little bit further down in verse 19, he, he says this. Um, he's talking about, you know, these things are, are neutral actions, right? Whether someone eats or doesn't, you know, observes a day, doesn't. He's talking about how these things are neutral. But then look what, what he says here in verse 19. It says, so then let us promote, pursue what promotes peace and what edifies one another. Do not destroy the work of God on account of food. All things are clean, but it is wrong for the person who eats and stumbles in the process. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is weakened. The faith that you have, have with respect to yourself before God. Blessed is the one who does not pass judgment on himself by what he approves. But the one who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not do so from faith, and everything that is not from faith is sin. So the point here is that there are neutral actions, but that action in the right context or wrong context could go into something that's morally prohibited. You know, this this whole this eating and, and, you know, this food stuff that Paul is talking about in Romans 14. If if one has no problem, no moral problem, then he says all things are clean and all things really are clean. But for the one who has doubts, he shouldn't do what he has doubts about doing. And because it really is sin in that case, um, because he's not doing it from faith. Um so, you know, there's another uh, great example I'm not going to read, but uh, the parable where Jesus talks about the landowner who hires people every hour throughout the day. Every hour he goes out and hires more people and pays them all a full day's wage, even the people that he just hired an hour before. And, um, you know, of course, the people hired earlier in the day are, are angry and there's a whole thing about that regarding the kingdom and the Jews and all that. But my the point that 
that the landowner makes in the parable. He says, it's my money. I can do with it what I want. You agreed to this amount. I paid you what we agreed to. I'm not cheating you, any of you. But um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a morally neutral thing. There's no law that says he's supposed to pay a certain amount. He's just supposed to pay what was agreed upon, and he does. Um, so, so that's that's a you know there there's situations where things, you know, are are sometimes. My point is sometimes neutral. So in actuality, James is the one who's misunderstanding the misunderstanding talked about in Peter. Um, it's and and yeah, we could talk about it for a, a whole episode. Um, Paul frequently quotes mock accusers in his letters. He says, oh, you'll say this or you'll say that. Um, accusing, and what what do they accuse him of? These mock accusers. It's all over the place. Paul understands that what he's saying is sometimes hard. And when he's talking about grace and, and all of that, he that what he anticipates is never Oh, so you're saying we don't have to keep the Sabbath law or the or circumcision? You know, it's never that. It's oh, so you think we can just go on sinning? We can just do whatever we want? And Paul says, no, of course not. Of course, you are still obligated to obey God. Um, he's he's talking about these differences and and things from the way that it used to look in in Israel, but he. He doesn't ever say, well, you know, yeah, we just throw out the law. No, uh, we don't. But um, yeah, so, so there's, there's a misunderstanding for sure. Uh, but it's James who, who has that misunderstanding. Uh, James Donano, not, not the you know, scripture writer. All right, so let's go ahead and get to the next clip here. A uh, few more, a little further in. Okay. Here we go. What does this mean? And, and he uses pretty much all of Paul's words, all of Paul's letters to make this claim. What does that mean, though, if Paul really taught that? If his letters actually taught that the Torah was abrogated by Jesus on the cross? So... Again, he's, he's talking about Paul being misunderstood. Um, and let's see. See, I might have grabbed the wrong clip there. Actually, I'm going to jump to the next one here because that's when I was doing my notes, I realized I kind of repeated some stuff. So let's jump ahead to... The next thing because we're going to talk about that all right here we go and then to further drive this point he says until heaven and earth pass away has heaven and earth passed away clearly not god's plan hasn't been fully fulfilled until heaven and earth pass away not one jot or tittle or stroke he's basically saying in hebrew it would be equivalent to in english you have either a dot or a comma. So he's saying not one dot, not one comma, not one tiniest little aspect of the law will pass, will be abrogated, will be abolished until all is fulfilled. Okay, not one tiny bit, not one tiny thing 
will be abrogated or abolished or or go away until all is fulfilled. So that very common one here, uh, so common to to cite this text. I want to this this comes to something we've talked about in the past, and and uh, actually James has talked about in the past as well. Um, you know, remember when we talked about sacrifices and how it's it really is irresolvable because the question is are the sacrifices especially the ones for sin have those passed away are they no longer required um because the when he talks about pass you know these nothing will pass away he is committed to the view that pass away means is no longer required but that means that he has to say that sin offerings are still required um but actually, he doesn't say that. Um, I've got another video. This is from a little while back, uh, maybe a little over a year ago. Uh, this was a, a video that he did in which he said this. Torah. With the understanding that the Levitical priesthood sacrificial temple system is no longer in place and the laws directly tied to that are no longer applicable. And So the... The sacrificial system is no longer in place. Those laws are no longer applicable. But I thought you just said not one jot or tittle, not one tiny stroke of the pen. Right? I mean, which one is it? See, this is, this is why I said when I was talking about sacrifices, this is an irresolvable dilemma. This is one, if you believe, if you interpret Matthew 5.18, the way those in the Hebrew Roots movement do, then you cannot say that what, what James said in, a different, in another video. Um, now, a lot of folks in that movement uh, will say they won't say that out loud. <laughs> um, they'll, they'll say something like, you know, that sacrifices, they'll come back and they'll be done in remembrance and stuff. And the problem is, when you dig down, it's it's still the same problem. The same problem is still there because they end up having to say that all those sacrificial laws are still, you know, are still in place. And then, you know, what did Jesus really accomplish? Um, there's really no no getting around it. Um, so uh, the fact is, I agree with what what uh, James said in that previous video um, that that those things really are done they're finished um because uh, i've read hebrews and apparently so has james um but that's that's uh that's just what it is so uh, let's go ahead and go to the next little section here and we'll see another fallacy example the law but now you have people making the case that Paul is teaching the opposite. So we have, we have a problem here. Either we're misunderstanding Paul or we're misunderstanding the Messiah. And these words in Matthew 5 are, are pretty clear. All right. So this is going to lead us into what we, the second main thing I was going to talk about today. But um, before we jump in there, I want, you know, uh, just to point out this, this, uh, fallacy. And the fallacy here is a false dichotomy. Um, really, it's going to end up being a trichotomy the way he puts it. But, you know, we're either misunderstanding Paul, you know, or Jesus. 
and you know it, you know it's it's a so the he's he's pointing out like either the the Paul deniers because that's what this is really if you go back and and I'm skipping things to because I'm I'm just wanting to get to his specific arguments that he's making but you know this is all inspired by this the fact that you know people in his movement often reject Paul and the 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 fact is that you know he says we're either misunderstanding Paul or misunderstanding Jesus the the thing is there's another option you might be misunderstanding both um, and, and that's that's actually uh, what I think is happening here. Um, but let's go ahead and let him make something even more clear. Jump ahead a few seconds, and here we go. And to understand what he's saying. So if Paul is teaching something contrary to what Yeshua spoke, he would be a false teacher. He would be a false apostle. But is that what Paul taught? And I'm going to propose Paul did not contradict Yeshua. He was in perfect alignment with Yeshua, but he's misunderstood. Um, I would also say the same. <laughs> um, and, and seriously, like, does it, who, well, we'll get into it. But, but the fact is, there are some people who do say, that Paul and Jesus are, contradict one another. Um, really what this comes down to as far as a fallacy is this is a straw man argument. Um, this is saying, hey, my opponents, those, those Christians who think that Paul teaches that, you know, that we don't, you know, observe the law in the same way as ancient Israel did. Um, those people, you know, they're saying that Paul contradicted Jesus. Um, that's, I'm sorry, that's a, that's a caricature of, of what we actually believe. Um, now, that's not to say that there aren't any people who fit that caricature. There, there are. But there are also people who don't and who also are not um, Torah-observant uh, folks. There, there are, are those as well. So, um, so he, uh, James goes on here to talk about the Deuteronomy 13 and 18 tests and uh, Deuteronomy 13 and 18 are tests of a of a false prophet. Right? You know, is this, is this person a true or false prophet? And 18 is real easy. It just says if they give you a prophecy, it doesn't come true. They're, they're a false prophecy. That one's simple. But then uh, the earlier one, Deuteronomy 13, again, I'm going to go ahead and read it to you just to be quick about it. Um, but this is one where, uh, let's see. All right, we'll go ahead and pull it up here. Um, this I can get through it a little, little quicker here. So it says, if a prophet stands up in your midst or a dreamer of dreams and he gives to you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes about that he spoke to you, saying, let us go after other gods, those whom you have not known and let us serve them. You must not listen to the words of that prophet or to that dreamer for Yahweh, your God is testing you to know whether you love Yahweh, your God with all your heart and with all your inner self, you shall go after Yahweh, your God, and you shall revere and him. You shall revere and his commandments. You shall keep and to his voice. You shall listen and to him. You shall and him. You shall serve and to him. You shall hold fast. 
But that prophet or the dreamer of that dream shall be executed, for he spoke falsely about Yahweh your God, the one bringing you out from the land of Egypt and the one redeeming you from the house of slavery, in order to seduce you from the way that Yahweh your God commanded you to go in it. So in this way you shall purge the evil from your midst. So here, before I get into it, uh, let's go ahead and see, uh, listen to what James has to say about this text. To see if you love him with all your mind and being. You must oh. follow the Lord your God. Sorry, I'm a minute early there. I to the apostles. If they are teaching to follow other gods or away from God's commandments, the way he commanded his people to live, then don't listen to him. Is that what the text said? Do you remember, um, just like Acts 21, what did the text say? He said, go, the text said, go after other gods, then you must not listen. And it does say, you know, you must, you know, keep his commandments. You must do all these things. Um, and it says, uh, you know, it says there, but that prophet or dreamer shall be executed for he spoke falsely about Yahweh, your God, in order to seduce you from the way that your God commanded you. But notice what does it ever say or <laughs> I mean, it does say or in, in, in here, but it never says like James said, it says it never says if they if a prophet says to go after other gods or to go, you know, not to keep the commandments. There's nothing in there about that. The, it's only one thing that this prophet does is, is say to go after other gods. By saying to go after other gods, he is, as it says at the end, teaching you to go seduce you from the way that God commanded you. But that's because he's telling you to go after other gods. It's a specific thing. It's not just anything. You know, it's not just any... You know, if anyone teaches you to, to, to do other commandments, you know, or not to do the commandments. Now, again, uh, obviously, it, Israel, the, you know, was commanded to, you know, these things, the Torah. I mean, this wasn't, it, this is very real. And so if someone came along and said, hey, don't do that, don't do that, they, it would be pretty simple just to say, uh, but the tech, you know, the law says so, so we don't do it. My point is that, once again, it, it's, a, it's a misreading of the text, and and this is so 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 common. Um, the warning of the false prophet has nothing to do with the specifics of the law, because the specifics of the law were not going to remain exactly the same forever. That's that's why it doesn't say what James said it says. All right, so let me go to the next clip here, and. All right, here we go. Been a false apostle. So we have a few options here with Paul. Either we conclude that he actually did say through faith in Jesus, you no longer have to obey the law. And he would be a false prophet, a false teacher. And if you believe that the Torah is still applicable for believers, and this is this is a problem for you, then, then yeah, 
you would have to reject Paul. The next option would be what much of the church has done. They've said, yes, he has done away with the law, the Torah, through faith in Jesus. And instead of rejecting him as a false apostle, they, they just, they praise that. Thank you, God, that you liberated us from that burdensome law. And they, they make him a false apostle, but then they, they praise that. And they follow this false apostle. Or the third option, and this is the option that I would encourage you to take, that Paul fully was in agreement with the law and the prophets. He was fully in agreement with Yeshua. He preached that salvation is only by grace through faith in Jesus, and that justifies you alone. But God expects obedience to his law, and therefore we could conclude he's a legit apostle. So, all right. So here's where we get into the second main thing I wanted to get to for this video. And that is, um, he, he's talking about these, these three options, but there are really four. And I want to kind of show this to you graphically, so to speak. Um, so let me go ahead and pull up a little matrix here. So this is to show that there literally are four positions, um, that, that are actually possible. Um, and so you have, you have this matrix. So on the left, you've got Christians should obey like Israel did, or Christian obedience is different than Israel's obedience was. Uh, so those are the two positions there. And then the two positions at the top are whether Paul contradicts Jesus or whether Paul and Jesus agree. So if you think Christians should obey like Jesus did, but you believe Paul contradicts Jesus, well, then you are going to be like Justin Best. You're going to be a Torah observant slash Hebrew roots something, uh, but you're going to reject Paul. You're going to say, well, I think that we're supposed to do this stuff, but I, I don't I don't think Paul uh, is really an apostle because, because of that. Uh, or if you're like James and you say, well, no, Paul and Jesus agree, but I think we should do like Israel did, then um, you're going to be among those who accept Paul, obviously. Um, and you're going to say things like that Paul is misunderstood. Uh, and then the third option, which he, he talked about there as his second option, is that if you believe that Christian obedience is different and you go ahead and believe that Paul contradicts Jesus, uh, when you do that, um, you're among Christians who say, uh, a couple things. Christians who say anything is permissible or who ignore the Old Testament. Um, and there's a lot of different, there's some variety in there. There's there's totally antinomian Christians who just say literally like, yeah, there's there's no there's no obedience expected whatsoever. Um, and they exist. Uh, or there are those who are in, in sort of the dispensational camp who would say, Things like, well, what Jesus said was definitely true, but he was speaking in a dispensation of the Jews and of the Mosaic law. You know, he says he was born under the law. So there, that doesn't apply to us because it's a whole new dispensation. And there's there's some, you know, we don't have we can just ignore what Jesus said uh, to do. So they don't have a problem that Paul contradicts Jesus because they, they, they think that when, you know, as time went on, different things become true. And, and they actually, a lot of those folks even believe 
different kinds of salvation at different times and for different people, uh, that it has not always been uh, by grace through faith. Now, Paul, uh, I think, flatly contradicts that. But uh, those are the three options that he gave, uh, that James gave just there. Uh, but there's a fourth one. And that fourth one is to say that Paul and Jesus do agree and that Christian obedience now is different than Israel's obedience was. And that is that you would be among historic Christians who say Jesus and Paul both taught changes in the law because they did. They both did. Um, (laughs) And that's that's the thing. I mean, so, yes, Jesus said, you know, I've not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Um, and he, yes, Jesus did say not one stroke of the pen or, or smallest dot will will pass away from the law. He said he definitely said those things. But what do those things mean? Um, he also said that, you know, uh, well, it's, you know, he, he said that what is what comes out of a man, not what goes into him that makes him clean. And and the inspired apostle in, in Mark, uh, I believe, seven, he says, by this, Jesus made all foods clean, um, cleansed all foods. So, uh, Jesus was, was Jesus taught things too, (laughs) that showed that there were changes happening in the law. Um, if you really look at what Jesus says about the Sabbath and you dig, dig into that deeply, just look up every time that the Sabbath actually comes up in the gospels and it, it'll, and, and look for, for two things. I, I would challenge you to do this. If, if you're, you know, a Torah observant, you think that, you know, gosh, you know, we're supposed to do all these things. And, and you know, if you want to do those things, remember what I said earlier in the show. Great. Knock yourself out. Um, but but it's not obligatory the way it was for ancient Israel. Um, but if you want to see how look at how Jesus relates to the Sabbath in the Gospels, just it's easy to do a search on your computer in in the Gospels and just look up sat just look up the word Sabbath. Most of them, you know, it's the Gospels. It's going to be talking about Jesus and it's going to be things happening. And and I want you to look for two things. I want you to look for where Jesus explicitly talks about the the traditions of men around the Sabbath. Look for Jesus to say something along the lines of traditions of men or how, you know, they've changed, you know, what was the, the true Sabbath. Look, look for that to be explicitly talked about by Jesus. Um, and also look for the, the, the positive things Jesus says about the Sabbath and how, you know, the, the reaffirming of, of, uh, of Sabbath keeping. You, you'll find it an interesting study, I think. Um, I will leave it at that. That's something I've, uh, again, I've also talked about before. But um, the the fact is that, you know, James and, and other other teachers and folks like, like 119 Ministries, 119 Ministries, Zach Bauer, all those guys, they're, they, none of them will talk about this fourth option, this, which they obviously disagree with. But they don't ever really argue against. They never really come out and say, okay, so there's this Christian position, which has been there pretty much the whole time, uh, that said that that does see the harmony in Jesus and Paul, that they're not teaching contradictory. 
that they both affirm these you know these changes in the way that the law is observed but uh you won't hear them talk about how to actually refute that position because they have to they they have to say oh no you just think they contradict and and really i'm like who who says that <laughs> i mean yeah some some people effectively say that but but who really says that um i don't know of anybody but uh i want i got one last clip and then uh we will kind of begin to wrap things up so let me go ahead and grab that here all right Okay, one last thing here. You need to become a Jew. And he was battling against that. No, you don't have to become a Jew. So he had to overemphasize grace and, and justification by faith alone. The works of the law don't save you. Did you hear what he said there? He said, Paul, because of, you know, these... You know, Jewish, you know, these people who are saying you had, you know, that it's by works and stuff. Paul had to overemphasize grace. Paul had to overemphasize grace. Um, where is that idea in Scripture? Where does Scripture talk about Paul overemphasizing grace? Um, so. And, and, and I want to this is an important point because. If you think that you're the one who's truly understanding Paul and that we are misunderstanding Paul, but you have to say things like he overemphasized grace, whereas we just read what he says, who's really misunderstanding Paul? Um, I mean, can you hear yourself that the any overemphasis is a detraction from truth? And scripture doesn't do that. If you believe Paul, if you believe this is scripture, then you can't say that anything in scripture is an overemphasis. Um, that's that's troubling. That that is is really troubling. Um, so James finishes this video um, by talking about how Christians who teach Paul did away with the law have no place criticizing people who reject Paul for doing away with the law. Um, and and I say. You know, if it's if it's Christians in that third position who think that who really do think Paul did away with the law, I mean, then then yeah, they they have some things to argue about. <laughs> um, but uh, but I don't think Paul did away with the law. Um, I think that Paul Paul didn't do anything, <laughs> frankly, when it comes to the law. Um, Jesus did, but Paul taught and explained how things did change. Um, so, you know, I, what I would challenge, you know, James is that there's, there, there's a fourth option. Don't ignore it. It's really the only one that deals with all the relevant texts, you know, lot, all three of those other options, they kind of fixate on one text or another and kind of, or, or just some of the texts and, and make those to, to rule over and, and are pit against other texts let all the texts speak. Let the whole scripture teach you, and and uh, you're gonna you're not gonna run into those those pitfalls when you that you do when you just kind of gloss over uh, the things that that uh, that are troubling for your position.
Now, um, over, you know, in the past, uh, a few times, James and I have talked over email, um, nothing real public. Um, but you know, what I want to do, James is, is I want to invite you on the show. Um, I, you know, people criticize me for throwing up a video and, and talking about it, but you know, Hey, at least I actually play what someone on the other side says and then respond to it. Uh, whereas, you know, I, I, I wish, I really truly wish that this video on Paul James, that you had played some of Justin's stuff. Cause I know that's what it's about. You guys, you guys have worked together in the past. You've done, you've collaborated in the past. I know that's who it's about, but you never mention him by name. And I, and that's troubling to me because if you never mention him by name, no one can go check you out and see that what you're saying is, is accurate. Um, and, and you never have to deal with the, the, what's being said. Um, so I want to invite you on the show. You said there are only these three options. I've shown you there's a fourth and I'd like to talk to you about that. I'd like to talk to you about that fourth option. Um, and about the way the way that we find in Scripture that Paul is actually being misunderstood. Um, now, I don't often have people on the show with whom I, I have, you know, these serious disagreements. Um, usually it's, you know, it's it's someone that I agree with that is doing something interesting that I'm not or haven't done or or maybe we have done some of the same things. And so it's good to to chat. Um, you know, I. I personally like, I do like debates. I'm doing one next week. Um, and I think that's a very profitable method in, in certain circumstances. Um, but like I've said, there, there are varieties of folks in the Torah movement, uh, some of which are really are so far gone. They are in, in extreme heresy. And, and James, your ministry, Philia Ministries, has promoted some of those. You said, you said several times in this video that you, it's by faith alone, not by works. Yet you, you have promoted in your ministry on Facebook um, the ministry of Triumph and Truth and, and Gary Simons. And he has clearly and explicitly said that it's faith and works together that brings about salvation. And I've, I've documented that. You've never responded to that. Um, so I wonder, I wonder what's going on there. But, you know, I, I don't think that you are in that realm. I think that that's comes from something else, but you know, there, the thing is, I think, you know, I've seen that you affirm historic Trinitarianism as you've affirmed salvation by grace through faith multiple times in this video. So I think that there's there's a foundation there to start talking about some stuff, but I think that you need to really go deeper and, and think about some of the details and not just, you know, parrot the the arguments you've heard. So the invitation is open to you. Um, I'm not going to yell at you or be nasty or, or anything like that. You know, if we're, ha if we're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I want to truly understand. I want to give you the chance to, to truly explain, uh, where you're coming from. But I want to, you know, if, if you, if you think I'm wrong, I want you to prove it to me as, as best you can. And, and, you know, I I'm not saying we're, we're going to come out of it with some sort of different view than we went in, but. But I think that it could be a, a, a profitable conversation 
um, to to really kind of get past the surfacey stuff um, that I see so much. Now, if if anyone's listening to this show and you want to pass that message on to James, I in case he he doesn't see this video, I that's great. Um, but please don't anyone try to guilt him into it. Don't say, "Oh, you're you're a." you're scared. You know, my, my goal with this isn't a debate, isn't a, a real, like, let's go head to head kind of debate. Again, I'm all for those. I've, um, you know, I've got stuff out there trying to, uh, that I'm doing and that I'm trying to set up that are like that. But, um, I, with James, I think that, that, uh, a real conversation could be had, um, just cause we've had, we've had some before over email and they're, and I think we've been able to make some progress. So I think that might be possible. Um, but it's an invitation, not a demand. Um, if the invitation and the invitation is there, cause I think it would be good. Um, but everybody's got their own plans and schedules and things. So I don't, I'm not, uh, holding my breath or, or anything like that. And that's fine. I, I won't hold it against him if he didn't do it. All right. So that is it for, the content tonight um as always we are gonna go ahead if we have some questions in the chat i'm gonna go ahead and start uh looking at that so uh, let me go ahead and pull some things up and we'll see what we've got uh, looks like we do have something all right so first question comes from caden carrington good to see you caden um as some hebrew roots reject paul as canon in order to effectively communicate, I have to go to the Old Testament and reference passages that New Testament uses. Is there a different apologetic approach you use? Thank you. Oh, <laughs> omit as. Sorry. So I didn't, couldn't, you know, read. I read the first thing first and the second thing second, uh, which is actually a very important, um, uh, it's a very important uh, hermeneutical uh rule uh so yeah as far as as people who actually do reject paul you know um you, you kind of have for me if, if someone rejects paul i think that what paul says especially about the law its foundation goes all the way back to the torah itself um and you know i i i submit to you the first few parts of the Christian approach to the law series, um, where we talked about Genesis, we talked about moral, ceremonial, civil, how it actually is expressed in the Torah itself. Those, that stuff is the foundation for what Paul ultimately says. So there's no disagreements, you know, I mean that if someone rejects Paul and, and they just say, well, because Paul rejects the law, then I, I would just say to that person, well, okay, so we agree about Paul. Um, let's let's just talk about some other other reasons why this is true. Let's talk about things Jesus said. Um, and you know what? I don't actually have I for me all of Scripture is God breathing it and it all fits. Um, but if you want to really get into talking about Paul, um, I, I did a series on that too. If you want good detail, you know, uh, talking to Justin Best, uh, talking about just what Justin Best said, and. Um, the the big parts some of the big issues with the rejection of paul that these guys don't seem to really think through very well is that if you if paul is not if paul is a false apostle which is you know i mean maybe there are some who think that paul is like a decent guy but he's just a little wrong about things they reject i haven't heard any of them 
<laughs> anyone say this. Maybe someone's like this. Everyone I've heard says Paul's a false apostle. He's to be rejected. He's evil. He's terrible. Um, well, if you say that, then you can't just reject Paul. Oh, and what's interesting is what they base that on a lot is they try to make Paul contradict Acts. But the problem with that is that Luke is a close companion of Paul who affirms Paul uh, in the book of Acts. And, you know, it's so you have to, you can't get rid of Paul without also saying, well, Luke was obviously a false apostle too but if luke's a false apostle then acts is false and then the whole foundation of your argument against paul just kind of fizzles because you're you're basing all this stuff on the book of acts so so that that little problem um the arguments against paul come from a foundation that you can't hold up if you reject paul it it, it just becomes this self-defeating set of arguments um and then the, the, a lot of the other stuff, there's just terrible, you know, uh, speculative type arguments and, and a whole lot of, of reading into texts and, and things like that. But yeah, if I'm talking to someone like that, I mean, we're going to be talking about Acts and, and Luke and, and Peter and, and a lot of that stuff. So hope that kind of answers the question. But like I said, if you want more on that, if you didn't, if you haven't seen those episodes, the ones talking about Justin Best really get into it deeper um all right so question from patience kachidska kachidza kachidza uh, tell me i don't know if i'm saying that right um how would you interpret this verse when apostle paul says deliver such as one such a one unto satan because here we have a preacher padding these lies saying there is a salvation which needs satan which not even the cross can give, but only Satan. I'm I'm not quite sure. Well, here's here's uh, so that text. Um, let's go ahead and read it because it's uh, it's better to to actually go to the text. Um, bear with me a second because if anyone has the the reference for that, I I know it's it's something that Paul said, um, and I think it's. Brilliant, actually. Uh, uh, let's see. First uh, Timothy one twenty is what we've got. First Timothy. All right. So let's read what it actually says. This is this is good stuff. First um, Timothy one verse 20 uh let's back it up just a touch um to verse 18 it says i'm setting before you this instruction timothy my child in accordance with the prophecies spoken long ago about you in order that by them you may fight the good fight having faith and a good conscience which some because they have rejected these have suffered shipwreck concerning their faith among whom are hymenaeus and alexander whom I have handed over to Satan in order that they might be may be taught not to blaspheme. So um, I I can't say for sure, but it sounds like um, your uh, your question is uh, challenging Paul on this. That how could Paul say such a thing? Um, yeah, I mean, how could he? Um, doesn't you know? Doesn't the cross uh, take care of it? But um, 
You know, I, uh, I would refer you just for a, and, and it seems to be just, and it says taught not to blaspheme uh, by being handed over to Satan. And, and I'll get to what I think that means. Um, but uh, let's look at, at Job. Let's look at something in the Old Testament. This isn't Paul. Um, and it talks, there's some stuff about Job here in, in the first chapter. Um, but let's, let's look at uh, verse 6. And it says, And it happened one day that the sons of God came to present themselves before Yahweh, and Satan also came into their midst. So Yahweh said to Satan, From where have you come? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From roaming on the earth and from walking about in it. So Yahweh said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Indeed, there is no one like him on earth, a blameless man and upright and God-fearing and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a fence around him and his household and around all things that belong to him on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands and livestock and has increased in the land. But on the other hand, stretch out your hand and touch all that belongs to him and see whether he will curse you to your face. So Yahweh said to Satan, look, all that belongs to him is in your power. Only do not stretch out your hand against him. So Satan went out from Yahweh's presence. And then we know the, the next part that, that, uh, all of his possessions are taken, and uh, in fact, his, his children are, are killed, all of this. And then um, it continues on to, you know, and, and I won't get into the whole thing uh, with, uh, with Job, but what, what's my point? Why did, I, why did I bring that up? Well, Yahweh turned Job over to Satan, and Yahweh, and, and, and there's no other way to read this text, but that Yahweh, that God incited Satan when it came to Job. Satan didn't bring up Job. Yahweh did. Yahweh said, have you considered my servant Job? And do you think that God did this not knowing what Satan would want to do or that anything Satan did was outside of what, what God's plan was? Of course not. Um, and did, did this teach Job anything? Well, of course it did. Um, it, it taught him humility. Um, and so there's, there's nothing unbiblical about a person being, you know, handed over in a, in a sense by God to Satan, the adversary, the, the accuser for the purpose of, of this, this difficulty if, you know, and, and to teach them something. So in the case of Hymenaeus and Alexander, we have not a whole lot of detail in the text, but obviously some people who have opposed Paul and Paul is saying, you know, that, you know, they're going after, they're going after Satan, you know, that they, they've made shipwreck of their faith. I'm just going to turn them over and let them, let them do that. Um, there's, again, there's nothing uh, really unusual about that in, in terms of, of scripture. It, it only looks unusual or looks like a problem if you have a pre-existing problem with Paul, which, you know, I, it, to me, it is a lot harder if you're, if you're a Torah observance kind of stuff is, is primary in your mind, then yeah, you are, you are the one who is contradicting both Jesus and Paul. And so it is kind of hard to, uh, to, uh, maintain that faith that Paul is, uh, 
is is a true apostle. But like I said, if you if you get rid of Paul, you lose you lose a lot. You 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 lose so much that a lot of people just end up uh, rejecting the Messiah, even if they don't do it both at the same time. All right. Uh, next question comes from Francisco R M. It says, "Do you think it is?" Do you think it's good to use the early church fathers to prove the first Christians didn't preach Torah uh, like the Hebrews movement? Um, I think there's there's some value in it. Um, the earliest church fathers we have do come uh, from right in that, you know, late first century, early second century. I think it's interesting. And, and I haven't done a deep study of the, of the fathers when it comes to this, you know, this issue of the law. Honestly, it seems there wasn't a huge controversy about it um, until uh, until quite a bit later. Um, And though the earliest it's funny, you know, the and this is another show that I I have that I need to to do. But, um, you know, this this whole conspiracy theory about, you know, Nicaea and 325 and Constantine and the Roman Catholic Church and, and everything is just this big conspiracy to to get rid of, you know, and, and pick your honestly, pick your religious movement or or whatever. Because if you're you know, the Hebrew roots folks say it, the you know, the biblical Unitarians say it, the you know, so many people say, you know, the the atheists say it about, you know, oh well, they picked the Bible, you know, they they change the Bible and all this stuff. Like everybody, you know, has all these theories about what happened at Nicaea. Um, but the fact is that a lot of the stuff, especially, you know, one of the, one example being, um, you know, observing the day of the Lord on the first day on Sunday, got, you know, that that was the regular gathering of the church on the Lord's day. Um, that was happening long before Nicaea, long before Constantine, long before this, all this supposed, you know, stuff. So I, I think there's some value in, in pointing out that these things were happening. The problem is um, they will, they'll cite stuff from, from the early church that's later, that's in the, like the fourth century and say, this, you know, and it's funny though, you'll often hear the Council of Laodicea, which is not the Council of Nicaea. It's, these are two different councils at different, different years and everything, but whatever. Um, and, and they'll say, look, this is where everything changed. Well, no, how about we just talk about the Bible because we can see the changes we need to see right there in the, in the text of scripture. So that's, that's really where I focus, uh, my, efforts i i guess you you could say all right let me take a look here um and see if there are any other questions i missed okay it's good to see you guys all chatting it up and and having a great great time of it all right so um I think that's all that I see as far as those questions. Uh, once again, um, I appreciate you guys being here. Uh, it's been a great show. And um, like I said, next week, no regular uh, show at this time. Uh, I'm not, I can't remember the exact time, but you can see it on uh, the Gospel Truth YouTube channel. Um, that's where I will be. 
to do and and focusing on that debate instead of doing the show. So uh, again, I appreciate you guys for being here. It's been awesome and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Beginning of Wisdom podcast. You can follow Andrew Schumacher and the ministry at beginningwisdom.org, where you can find links to the YouTube channel and follow on social media. Sign up for email alerts to never miss new content. Please like, share, and rate the episode if it has blessed you. God bless and always be ready.